everyone, welcome to the Backseat Directors Podcast, the podcast dedicated to the celebration of all things movies, where we review and discuss movies old and new. I'm your host, Andre Hutchins. This is episode 99. That's right. Just one episode away from our centennial milestone. It's crazy. I can't believe we're this close to our 100th episode. But today's episode is another edition of Defend Your Movies, where I have invited one of the writers from BackseatDirectors.com to choose three movies that they love but are rotten on Rotten Tomatoes and to defend those movies. Listeners, I just want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading today's episode. I really appreciate your support. It means the world to me. If you love listening to the show, share the love. Tell your friends and family about Backseat Directors. Let them in on the fun as well. Don't keep it to yourself. And if you haven't left us a review yet, uh, I would just ask you to just take one minute to leave us a review, whether that's on Apple iTunes, um, Apple Podcasts on iTunes, or whichever uh, podcasting platform that that you subscribe to. But uh, tell your friends and family that they can find Backseat Directors on every major podcasting platform. Uh, Yes, that does include Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can follow us on social media, or you can just go to our website at BackseatDirectors.com. If you have any other comments or questions, just reach out to me directly. You can get a hold of me on social media or or via email. My email address is andre at backseatdirectors.com. That's spelled A-N-D-R-E, andre at backseatdirectors.com. Now let's get on with the show. Rachel, welcome back to another episode of the Backseat Directors Podcast. Thank you, Andre. I am so excited for this. This is going to be a good one. Oh, I'm very excited as well. Very excited. Um, you know, this this has been um, this has been it, it's been too long. That's what I wanted to say. It's been far too long <laughs> since we last had you on the podcast. Just before I hit the record button, you and I were talking about the last time I did have you on the podcast. And for any of you listeners who have been around since like the beginning, since 2017, when I first started this podcast, you might recognize Rachel's voice already because she she had her debut on the Backseat Directors podcast when we we reviewed a very, very controversial movie <laughs> that came out the oh. summer of 2017 called The Book of Henry. <laughs> oh my goodness. Controver- I don't know if that movie was like well-known enough to be controversial. Well, here's the thing. I think for anyone who saw it, and spoiler alert, I think it definitely was controversial because essentially, uh, again, spoiler alert, Henry, who dies, wrote in his diary instructions on how to kill the neighbor, and the mom follows the instructions and almost goes through with it. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have not watched that movie since, but... Um, I, I kind of wanted to, especially since this, the theme of this podcast was going to be rotten movies that we love. And I thought, man, it'd be so fun to revisit book of Henry and see if I still would give it the go see it recommendation, but I just (laughs) didn't get around to it. There's too many others to watch instead. And so I won't spoiler alert. That's not going to be in my, my list of movies today. Hey, no, Um, that's totally fine. That's because anyone that, yeah, if you want to hear Rachel's kind of review that and what you thought of the movie go back and listen to that episode i don't remember what number it is just just look for backseat directors the book of henry and you'll find it all right um but but rachel i'm really happy to have you on the podcast um you are now the fourth writer from the backseat directors team to join me on a defend your movies episode so i'm very excited to have you 
Yeah, I'm excited. I got my, got, I'm all ready to defend them. <laughs> okay, well, you know how all this works. Work. Yeah, you know how this works. So you have three movies that, um, that you love, but are rotten by the Rotten Tomato critics on RottenTomatoes.com. And so I'll let you go ahead and introduce your first movie. All right. So this first movie was released in the summer of 2001. If you want to take yourself back to where you were at in the summer of 2001. It's a G-rated live-action Disney movie. Uh, it was made with a budget of $26 million, but grossed over $165 million worldwide, which was so crazy at the time because the lead actress, nobody knew who she was. She's, she was a nobody. But now everybody knows her name because she's an Oscar winner. Uh, the movie's directed by Gary Marshall and it is one of my top five films of all time. Really? Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, top five for sure. And if listeners, if you haven't guessed it already, that movie is The Princess Diaries. Oh my goodness. Top five movie, huh? Top five movie oh, of yeah. all time? I, I was going to say top three, but just to be careful, top five. But well, it's there. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm actually kind of, uh, I, I'm relieved that this is uh, one of the movies that you chose because my wife and I, um, uh, maybe, maybe as recent as two months ago, we watched both Princess Diary <laughs> movies on Disney Plus. My my wife's a big fan of the first one; she loves it. You know, she yeah. she can quote it. She's a big fan. So, um, but okay, you know, you chose a movie that um, I think. It's, it's kind of interesting because this this is a movie that I think for a, a lot of people, especially those that kind of grew up on it, is somewhat cherished. You know, I mean, yeah, yeah, Julie Andrews, an iconic actress. Um, and then, yeah, and then kind of to see the progression of Anne Hathaway's career from where she started essentially with this movie to where she has ended up. Um, you know, the, the, the movie did not do well among critics, but tell us why you love it. Tell us why. Um, so yeah, I thought about, I tried to figure out how I was going to approach this and I looked on Rotten Tomatoes to see what, you know, what was the big deal to people, what they hated so much about it. And the critic consensus reads, um, a charming, if familiar makeover movie for young teenage girls. And I read that and I thought, well, what's wrong with that? that What what does that make it rotten? (laughs) Just because it's. Charming. It doesn't like if familiar. Yeah, yeah. like similar yeah. storylines to some things. And I mean, g- the director Gary Marshall uh, directed Pretty Woman as well. And I've always joked that this is Pretty Woman for kids. <laughs> you know, kid appropriate Pretty Woman. Yeah, they, no, that's it's a great. Got that that's a great comparison. Theme. Yeah. And I, the thing I love, this movie is hilarious. I will laugh just like you're saying about Amy. I will laugh every time I watch this movie at the same lines. I know they're coming and. <laughs> And they say them, and I just, I just like cannot stop. Um, his style of humor is so unique because it seems that he'll give some of the funniest lines in the movie to random people that show up. You know what I mean? Like, so, like, there'll be small characters who don't really play any part in the main plot, but they just come in for like one-liners that just kill uh for instance sandra O, oh, who is now an emmy winning is that right emmy winning actress mm-hmm. yeah um for uh killing eve which i haven't yep. seen but she is fantastic top quality actress but she plays vice principal <laughs> Gup in this movie <laughs> and every time she's on screen she man i'm just dying like there's this part where 
she walks up to Lily and good morning, Lily. And then she looks at Anne Hathaway and clearly has no idea who she is. And she's like, Lily's friend. <laughs> walks away from and it's so relatable. These like one-liners. And like you say, Amy's quoting it all the time because it's so quotable, you know? And it seems as when Mia falls on the bleachers, Lily's telling her why she can't be a princess. And all of a sudden Mia just like trips and biffs it on these bleachers. And that was an accident. They just happened while they were filming. Yeah. And they put it in the because it, it, it's exactly why she can't be a princess, quote unquote, is because she's a class. She's not made to be dignified or I don't know, whatever expectation people have of princesses. Right. But right. And I just the movie in that way is so sincere and so relatable. Mia is it just 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 genuine. You know, I think a lot of people when they criticize Anne Hathaway these days, they say that she seems really disingenuous. Is that a word? I think that's the word. <laughs> but, that, you know, that, that she doesn't come off as real. Yeah. And every time I watch this movie, I think, well, I don't know which Anne Hathaway they're watching because she seems real to me. And like this, this movie is so grounded and seems like she's coming from a real sincere place in her portrayal. So one of the criticisms that I hear quite often regarding Anne Hathaway is that I hear a lot of people, especially those that are fans of this movie say, this is the only movie that I like Anne Hathaway in. Like what happened, what happened to Anne Hathaway after this movie? And obviously, I mean, you and I have had many conversations about this and that you love Anne Hathaway. Absolutely. Um, So uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Tell me your top favorite Anne Hathaway movie. Is it oh, Princess Diaries? Well, I'm just searching through her filmography real quick in my head. It's pretty extensive. I mean, she's I'm, she's been in a is, lot of movies. A lot of movies. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it has to be. Like, <laughs> I, I just can't, like, it's, um, yeah, it's so, she is so good in it. And I feel like it it was her unhindered by a reputation or expectation by fans do you know what i mean for sure so she was nobody she could she just was going to do her best work and give it a whirl you know and i think that every movie since she's just faced so much judgment and so much criticism that i think that especially in her adventures in in comedy um i think that people kind of have a lot of opinion about her and you know about what she's about and so she it's not as natural it doesn't come as easy i think as it did in princess diaries so i don't know if you've seen this movie but i i'd say this is probably my favorite um anne hathaway movie uh it came out in 2015 alongside um robert de niro uh, oh the intern the intern I, I love that movie. I, I really, really enjoy that movie. You know, like when we talk about kind of being kind of authentic and real, I feel like I feel like this was a really good type of callback movie for Anne Hathaway and just kind of rediscovering her acting chops. Because I mean, I, I do believe she's very talented. And I think she does get a bad rep, but but I I really really like the intern and I think she's great in the intern. Oh my gosh, that movie's hilarious too. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to have to watch that one. I love that one. Yeah. So I, I really enjoy the intern, you know, and Anne Hathaway has been in quite a few iconic movies. I mean, you think about interstellar, you know, widely considered, um, you know, one of the best Christopher Nolan movies, if not the best, it, it, for me, it's actually my personal favorite Christopher Nolan one. Really? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's so good. I agree. You know, and then the dark Knight. I mean, she's Catwoman. Catwoman is Mm -hmm. one of the most 
iconic comic book characters ever and she got to be catwoman so <laughs> yeah it's it's a rare filmography where you get to be a disney princess of superhero uh you get win an oscar for a video or a movie portrayal of fontaine from les mis you know like what a, a history she has in film of what she's able to be, do and i agree that uh, just doing roles like Princess Diaries would have really limited her in what she was able to do. So she kind of took some weird roles here and there um, <laughs> and, and went out of her comfort zone, which I applaud her for. And maybe she wasn't as good in those. But, um, yeah, I can't think of a movie that I hated her in. Oh, that's great. I, 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 What I really like is I love to hear people's passion and what they're passionate about, especially things that other people might be really critical of like Anne Hathaway because a lot of people are critical of her but hearing someone who is a big fan and, <clears throat> and really passionate about her it's just refreshing and so I, I yeah. appreciate your enthusiasm I really do so oh there's plenty of it to go around <laughs> there's so much enthusiasm in that department yeah okay, so, especially in, in Princess Diaries yeah for sure and for context for our listeners on Rotten Tomatoes uh, Princess Diary comes in at a 48% approval rating uh, from the uh, the official critics with a total of 115 submitted reviews, but an audience score of a 68% approval rating with 757,000 plus reviews submitted. So obviously there's, there's much more appeal to the general public than there are than to the critics. But, um, but yeah, no, it's great, great choice. Great choice. Okay. So that's movie number one. Let's go on to movie number two. All right. Movie number two. This one came out in 2010. Uh, directed by Ridley Scott, who I'm pretty sure is my favorite director. I like just about everything that he does. He's really good. Um, and it stars my favorite actor, Russell Crowe. And this was Ridley Scott's adaption of Robin Hood. Such a great and, movie. Such yeah, a great so movie. Such a great movie. I I hate that people don't like this movie because... like. Like when it comes to Ridley Scott's directing style and especially the work that he's done with Russell Crowe, I don't know why people can say the gladiator is one of the greatest movies ever made. And yet this Robin Hood movie is so terrible because it's not, it's not, no. there's so much DNA and so much of that same structure from gladiator. That's also in Robin Hood. I love this. movie. Yeah. Yeah. This is, it's in, it's a Ridley Scott epic, right? A historical epic where he, takes this darker grittier approach to history and um researching like the tale of robin hood you know if you look at back in like the the version from the 30s with errol flynn that movie you know is adored by critics and fans that's heralded as the main portrayal of robin hood and and this one um it, it goes into it explores the context a little bit more if you know what i mean like the like king richard's brutality in the crusades he wasn't just this awesome heroic superhero the lionheart he made difficult and awful choices in this war and the tensions with france and france trying to conquer england and the reason that all these taxes were were oppressing the people of england was because of the crusades that richard had done you know and and seeing that the impact of all of these characters that, you know, me growing up with the Robin Hood cartoon from Disney in the seventies, like, Oh, you know, Richard's a good guy. Robin Hood's a good guy. Prince John is the, the evil lion that sucks his thumb, you know, <laughs> like these are, these characters are flushed out and it, it's game of Thrones level drama 
and intrigue and political infighting and influence. And it's so interesting to me. And yet people are like, oh, no, I hated it. And I, man, I just, I'm with you. I don't know how or yeah. why. No, it, it honestly is very perplexing to me. And I, th- and I thought, I thought for, and I, I, I'm not sure if there were plans to do a sequel. And I don't know if the movie really required a sequel. I think it would have been cool though. I mean, obviously there's a lot right? of tales you can, it. you can tell, you know, regarding Robin hood, but yeah, no, I for sure would have watched it too. But I, and this is, you know, even though these are two very different movies, two different, very different styles and two very different directors between uh, Ridley Scott and Guy Ritchie, I was yeah. a massive fan of the King Arthur uh, legend of the sword movie with Guy Ritchie. But what I, what I enjoyed that both Ridley Scott and Guy Ritchie did with these two classic, very well-known tales is that these are tales that have been told a thousand times in many different ways. And yet they, what, what Ridley Scott was able to do uh, and what Guy Ritchie was able to do with uh, King Arthur is that they were able to to present it in a new way, in a new fresh way, in a way that, that was familiar but also new and approachable and real and i i loved them. i love them both and so yes like this oh gosh I, this robin hood movie is so good it's got it's got a great combination of just the right amount of humor for how serious and grounded the movie is you know i mean you have some very funny characters in there um i'm trying to find uh, i think it's a uh, little john obviously play, uh, played by kevin yeah. uh, durand uh, you know, and then Will Scarlet played by Scott Grimes, like those two guys and their dynamic together is brilliant. Um, but yeah. the entire movie, I mean, gosh, look at, look at the cast that's in this movie. Russell Crowe, Kate, uh, Kate Blanchett, Mark Strong, Oscar Isaac, Danny Houston, um, you know, Ma- Max von Sydow, who plays Sir Walter Loxley. I mean, this movie is stacked. It's, yeah. it's well acted. The production is, is top notch. I mean, Gosh, I hate going on Rotten Tomatoes and looking at the score because oh, it's it is it's it's so much more worth than what the critics gave it. Jeez, right? And <sighs> I like going with these incredible actors. They all add something new to these characters, and and with Robin Hood being played by Russell Crowe, who I believe was in his mid forties in two thousand ten, and Kate Blanchett, who was probably around the same age. Um, they bring this much more mature Robin and Marion relationship, which I, I just watched this movie in preparation for the podcast and just, I just loved their relationship. You know, she's not the blushing maid Marion, you know, hiding in her castle. She is running the house, you know, because her husband's been gone and her stepfather is blind and she, she goes out in the field and, plows the earth with the oxen and she's in the mud trying to save a little baby goat that gets stuck there, you know, and she's, but she also carries the dignity and the power of Kate Blanchett, you know, and, yeah. and in her, and like you say, the humor, I love those little interplays between her and Russell Crowe. Yes. Like they are so yes. funny, but yes. there's this level of sweetness to it that man, it, it, you don't see many movies with a middle-aged couple and this is a middle-aged couple in the middle ages, but they, you know, they're, and they're falling in love and yeah. they're getting to know each other. And, and I, I mean, I just love that part where he's going to take off and he doesn't know that she's going to come with him, but he looks down at her and he kind of shakes his head and he says, I love you, Marion. And just rides away. And it's like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> it's so good. It's this, it's an epic love story accompanying an epic tale. And man, 
so good. No, it really is. I, and I'm just, I, it's been, it's been maybe a year or two since I've seen the movie, but I just remember one of my favorite scenes is, you know, um, because the the story is and spoiler it, listeners if you have not seen this movie you got to watch this movie but look I'm gonna give oh, a few good. spoilers okay so Russell Crowe his, his character he's not Robin of Loxley at least not yet he is Robin Longstride okay he is he's he's not he 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 does not come from wealth or money like the other iterations of the Robin Hood character did um, but he he kind of gets adopted into the Loxley family by Max von Sydow's character um, who knows his son has died. And that, I mean, that's the whole reason why Russell Crowe is there. He's bringing the sword of, of, you know, Marion's deceased husband now, you know, but, but uh, the senior Loxley, uh, Loxley, he, you know, invites uh, Russell Crowe to be his new son, to be his new son, to, you know, be the husband to Kate Blanchett to Marion, you know, but, but even when he accepts this, you know, Marion isn't, she's not all on board quite yet, you know? So, you know, she's like, it's, it's nighttime. And like one, you're not sleeping in my room. You're not sleeping in my bed. You can sleep by the fire. And also the dogs aren't even going to sleep with you. They're going to sleep with me. That whole, like when she whistles and the dogs leave, like, it's so funny. It's so great. It's so good. Yeah. No, th- this movie is, uh, gosh, it's so underappreciated. And it really, it really does frustrate me because I think Ridley Scott, I had this conversation with, uh, with my co-host Ryan in a previous episode, how Ridley Scott kind of has this up and down career, or at least perceived by, by critics, you know, where he's made some of the most iconic movies ever made. You think about the original Alien with Sigourney Weaver. You think about Blade Runner. You think about Gladiator. You know, and even more recently, like The Martian. The Martian was an incredible movie. Yeah. But Ridley Scott is one of the most talented directors ever. And Robin Hood puts his talents on display. So I don't mean to steal your thunder, but I'm really passionate about this movie, too. <laughs> No, this is so much better because you are all you're, we're in agreement. This is I'm loving it. It's great. Okay, so here I'm gonna read the critics' consensus, and then I'll I'll let you have one more rebuttal, and then um um we'll go into the numbers. So it says Ridley Scott's revisionist take on this oft-told tale offers some fine acting and a few gripping action sequences, but it's missing the thrill of adventure that made Robin Hood a legend in the first place. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, I, I mean, I think I think this movie just suffers from what I'll call the Robin Hood curse, because there are so many adaptions of Robin Hood made um, after the the version in the 30s with Errol Flynn. That one, I think, is what everybody compares any Robin Hood movie to. Is it is he dashing? Is he debonair? You know, is he like Errol Flynn? And it's this, this is not it, you know, and I, I was looking at on Rotten Tomatoes and there's a whole list of Robin Hood adaptations and almost all of them are considered rotten. This one and the one that Parker talked about last time mm-hmm. uh, that was made back in 2018 with Taron Edgerton, uh, the one in the 90s with Kevin Costner, 
even the Disney movie in the seventies, all of these are considered rotten by critics. And I just, I just think that they're not satisfied with anything more than Errol Flynn. Right. No, I think that's a great point. I really do. And it is crazy to, to go back and see, I mean, I grew up watching that Kevin Costner, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Like I honestly can quote that movie. Like I've seen that movie a hundred times at least. And it's so great. And yes, like it's so different than this one, but like, they both can exist and be different and be great at the same time. I really like Morgan Freeman and Kevin Costner is a great duo. You know, uh, um, Kate Blanchett and Russell Crowe together in this one, great duo. I mean, these these are good movies. People just enjoy these movies, okay? <laughs> yeah, and great villains too. Alan Rickman in that '90s one is so campy but so good. And then Oscar Isaac in in the in this adaptation adaptation with Russell Crowe is brings a whole new level to Prince John that I had never even thought yes, about well, because he's sympathetic. He's not, he's yeah. not the villain yet. He becomes the villain at the end, but it's Mark Strong's character, Godfrey, who is yeah. the villain. And you, and you know, I mean, he is scheming, he's conniving, he's plotting behind, you know, Oscar Isaac's back, um, with the French, like, like, yes, like these are, these are really great characters. Oh my goodness. Anyway. Okay. Okay. Uh, listeners, on Rotten Tomatoes, Robin Hood comes in at a 43% approval rating among critics with a total of 247 reviews submitted. The audience score, however disappointing, has a 58% approval rating with 265,000 plus reviews submitted. Look, this movie is much better than than those scores or than what the critics are saying. They they thought it lacks adventure. This movie is nothing but adventure. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. What? <laughs> what, what adventure are they want, looking for? Because <laughs> I went on one. Goodness. All right, Rachel. Let's let's finish uh, round round these uh, these movies out with your final and third movie. Okay, here we go. So, um, I we're going to a much disputed and heavily debated galaxy far, far away on this third movie. So uh, brace yourselves, listeners. Andre and I are bracing ourselves. Um, <laughs> so as far as the Star Wars saga goes, all of these movies, including the, um, uh, the oh, what do you call them, the Star Wars stories, the ones that don't fit into an episode category, they're all fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, save two. And those are the bookends of the saga, episodes one and nine. So... Um, I was debating on which one I would talk about. Um, in the end, I figured episode nine is pretty fresh. We'll let it, we're going to let it age a little bit, but I've been watching episode one for 20 years and I've got a lot to say about it. So my third film is star Wars episode one, the phantom menace cue the John Williams theme and title crawl. Here we go. (laughs) This is a great choice, Rachel. It really is. And you know, when, um, when you just said, I just looked this up as you were you were saying that. I didn't realize. I I knew that the Rise of Skywalker surprisingly had a, a rotten score. Like that movie was nothing but fan service, and I'm I'm really surprised that it got the score that it did on Rotten Tomatoes. But I I, I knew that the fa- uh, uh the Phantom Menace had a rotten score. But what I was surprised is I didn't realize that the Attack of Clones has a positive score on Rotten Tomatoes and in my opinion it's the worst of the prequels um but anyway we're not talking about that we're talking about the Phantom Menace so I know you were pretty young when this movie came out but I was old enough to remember and to having 
even gone and seen it. I, I went with my dad and a friend the Friday, uh, it, it came, well, I mean, so there were midnight previews, but, uh, I was in high school. This was my freshman year in high school. Uh, so yeah, you can date me if you want to do the math. Um, but yeah, this came out in 1999 freshman in high school. This is toward the end of the school year. So they had the midnight previews, but I didn't go to the midnight previews. I went, we got tickets the moment that school ended on Friday and me and my buddy and my dad, we all went, I, I, and, um, and so I remember, I remember seeing this for the first time, but what's funny is my memories of the Phantom Menace, my memories of, I have memories of seeing it, but what my strongest memories are of, are actually of the trailers. When the trailer, first trailer dropped for the Phantom Menace, it, it, it this is 1999. Okay. We, we talk about things and how they blow up the internet. Okay. The internet was barely in existence in 1999. There was no YouTube. And yet the first trailer for the Phantom Menace blew up the internet. I'm pretty sure it was one of the first trailers that was accessible on the internet. But, and a lot of people debate this, but here's the thing. The, the Darth Maul double lightsaber reveal, they actually showed that in the trailer. A lot of the, there, there's there's so many moments where I watch a trailer. I'm like, you should have kept that for the movie because that would have been so epic and would have melted people's faces. But <laughs> I, I remember as a kid seeing that and going, "Oh my gosh!" Like literally, like having my mind explode. Saw that in the trailer, and and what that did, it hooked everybody. Everybody was going to go see this. It was. It was one of the most highly anticipated movies ever. I mean, there hadn't been a Star Wars movie, a new one since 1983. Now it's 1999. We're going to get a new Star Wars. Holy cow. This is like Anakin's journey. We knew that. Anyway, anyway, this there was so much anticipation worldwide for this movie. Um, and now there's, you know, after the movie, though, there's there's been a lot of debate and debate still 20 years later. So, Rachel. Tell me why you love this movie. Why I love this movie. There's so much. Um, I, oh gosh, I don't even know to begin, where to begin, but let's just start at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> a lot of people uh, f- get frustrated because they feel like the beginning of the movie, you know, it's so highly anticipated. And then it's 20 minutes of Jedi walking around, drinking tea, waiting for the Trade Federation to show up for a negotiation. Um, and I watched it just a couple days ago and was thinking, okay, this may seem if you were waiting for a Star Wars movie and you're so excited sitting in the theater, I I can see why it would be frustrating. But this movie is setting up world building, not just for a trilogy, but for what has become a nine movie saga. They're establishing this isn't the same world that Luke and Leia and Han lived in. This is the world of the Galactic Senate. This is Jedi at their finest and yep. at their height of their power. So you're you're discovering an all-new situation. And I think that every moment of those 20 minutes is important as it shows Darth Sidious right from the beginning pulling the strings and manipulating and creating the chaos and telling them, you know, kill the Jedi and creating problems. And I think every minute of that movie was important. I can't find like, Oh, you know what? This should have made a cut here. This should, you know, I loved every, every scene, every moment. I think it, it, it all contributes. And, and that first fight where they, they come out fighting against the droids. I, I cannot imagine what that would be like to see in theaters. Cause I just, I've grown up with that in my house 
eat for years. And every time, you know, having to have my parents scold me for hitting my brother with a stick because that was my lightsaber, you know, like <laughs> that, that's, that's, it's just the joy of hearing that theme and knowing these are the heroes and they're going to take down the bad guys. And, and, uh, man, I just love that. And there's another point that people hate young Anakin. They're like, oh my gosh, that little boy is so annoying. Why would you have 10 year old Darth Vader? <laughs> but man, it isn't 10 year old Darth Vader. That's the whole point. Yeah. You know, like he's this, he's introduced in the movie as a slave who had like has nothing. And he meets this group of strangers. And the first thing he says is, Hey, why don't I risk my own life and my most valuable possession, my pod, you know, my pod racing thing. Well, pod racer. That's what it's called. <laughs> and, uh, um, and let me like see if I can win this race for you guys. And he never asks, asks for one cent of that money. He's like, oh, yeah, here you go. Have it. His mom uh, or sorry, his mom and Qui-Gon are talking at one point and Qui-Gon tells her, you should be very proud of your son. He gives without any thought of reward. And that is not a trait you expect from Darth Vader. That is 100% Anakin Skywalker, you know? And I think that Phantom Menace does a good job of creating a very devastating episode three and a very victorious feeling when Anakin Skywalker overcomes Darth Vader in the sixth movie, yeah. you know? I yeah. just think... I think it's a great setup. I, oh gosh, I could keep talking. I want to hear what you had to say as as well. <laughs> so so I, I was, I mean, at, at my age, I was, I think I was definitely part of the intended audience of who this movie was made for at the time. And I loved it. I, I mean, as you know, a, a young teenager, I loved this movie. I, I saw it multiple times in theaters and I remember being so excited when it came out on DVD and like, uh, uh, wanting to turn on the pod race scene and like, you know, at my, my parents, you know, little movie room and like just cranking it as loud as I possibly could. There were so many things about the movie that, that got me amped as a young star Wars fan. And to this day, I still really enjoy, I, I really enjoy the opening scene. You know, I remember, I remember sitting in theaters and watching, uh, Qui-Gon stick his lightsaber through the door and melting it and going, Oh yeah. my God gosh this is like stuff we wanted to see you know because we knew the capability of lightsabers but you know in the 80s they're, they're they weren't quite able to show this but now yeah. with the new technology i'm like this is everything i've wanted to see in star wars this is incredible you know um and then yeah i still love the pod race scene uh, the the fight scene between uh, obi-wan qui-gon and darth maul is considered one of the best in all of star wars in yeah. my opinion, I think it is the best. Um, the music, the John Williams music, and this might be controversial, but I think the music in the prequels is the best Star Wars music ever. Agreed. I, I, I enjoy the prequels music so much more than any of the others. And and look, that might seem blasphemous. I the, the original trilogy is the best. Empire Strikes Back is my favorite movie. Those are the greatest Star Wars movies, in my opinion. But the music in the prequels is so good, and the uh, the uh, the fight um, the uh, oh what is the name of the track when they're they're fighting Maul? Duel um, of the Fates. Duel of the Fates. Duel of the Fates. Yes, thank you. Uh, it might be the best 
Star Wars music ever composed by John Williams. Yeah. It's phenomenal. <laughs> it's so good. So there really is a lot to like about the movie. Um, as I've gotten older, I don't think the movie has aged well as I've gotten older. At least it hasn't aged with me. And the things that I, I feel like I it, it's really hard for me to grasp now is Jar Jar Binks. That's something when oh, I was younger, yeah. I didn't think twice about. It's just Jar Jar. I thought it's just kind of more the silly side of... You know, he's kind of the new C-3PO of the prequels, right? That's that's my thought, but uh, at least when I was younger. But I, the movie really could have done without Jar Jar, or at least a very toned down Jar Jar. That's one of the critiques I have. And yeah. and um, one of our fellow writers, uh, C.J. Marshall, he brought this up, and I agree. I think Darth Maul should have been the protagonist or the antagonist throughout the entire trilogy. And the fact that he dies in the first one, even though that fight is epic, and I remember the entire crowd cheering when Obi-Wan got him and just going, yes, Um, which still was an incredible moment. Having Darth Maul be the main bad guy, you know, that eventually Darth Vader or Anakin has to supplant to take his position as the apprentice to the Emperor, I think that would have played better, but... You know, the movie is what it is. It's going to get criticism. That's fine. I definitely can still enjoy it. And for me personally, and it, it, this has a lot to do with the nostalgia, but it is my favorite of the prequels. <laughs> oh, hey, there you go. Well, it, with good it reason. It's fantastic. It is. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. I mean, I'm not saying it's a it's a perfect movie and I don't I'm not saying it's a it's really a great Star Wars movie, but there's there is more that I enjoy than I don't. And so for me, I can turn it on and still watch it and enjoy it for sure. So, okay. Um, here, uh, I'll let you say one last thing after I read this. So burdened by exposition, this is what Rotten Tomato says burdened by exposition and populated with stock characters. The Phantom Menace gets the star Wars prequels off to a bumpy, albeit visually dazzling start. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I think I just am not good at arguing with people because my immediate reaction is like, well, you suck. <laughs> you know, like, I need a much more better. I need to be better at debating with people. But I think Star Wars just holds too dear of a place in my heart to have people attack it <laughs> without me getting all pulling out my lightsaber and charging, you know. Yeah. So I, that last scene, like you were talking about, it is fantastic that fight and and going between anakin and his spaceship in in space the gungans fighting princess or sorry queen amidala trying to get the viceroy and the lightsaber battle with obi-wan qui-gon and darth maul all accompanied by a fantastic musical score that is just that is some of the finest star wars sequences (laughs) ever and if you can watch that without a smile on your face then um, you got me. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, the the, the say, Star but... Wars DNA is there. It feels like Star yeah. Wars. It looks like Star Wars, even for perhaps how cheesy there are part. You know, the cheesier. Oh, excuse me. Uh, the cheesier parts of the the movie. Um, it still feels like Star Wars to me. It does, yeah. and and for me, that's what's most important. Does it feel like Star Wars? And to me, the answer is yes. So, um. Just real one one tidbit. I heard this last year. Someone talked about there's kind of a kind of you know the infinity loop, uh, how it's kind of like a it's like a sideways eight. 
you know yeah the, yeah. the infinity symbol that the the first two trilogies play kind of like on this loop where if you think about the the final kind of battle of return of the jedi um there's there are three battles that are taking place at the same time you have one on endor you have one in space and you have the duel between uh luke and vader and the same thing happens in the phantom menace so but this is the first episode versus the last episode and in the first episode of the phantom menace that final battle is it takes place in three places you have the ground battle in naboo with the gungans and the droid army you have the space battle um you know with the ships trying to take out the shields of the federation trade ship or whatever and then you have the lightsaber duel between maul qui-gon and obi-wan and then and as you get going into uh the other the other star wars movies they almost meet up in the middle and so it's just kind of this weird loop but anyway that's just an interesting theory if i find that youtube i'll send it to you i think you might like it but oh for sure anyway okay so listeners so on rotten tomatoes the phantom menace uh, episode one, Star Wars, has a 53% approval rating um, on uh, among the critics with 228 reviews submitted and a 59% approval rating from the audience with 1.2 million reviews submitted. Even with the wow. 59%, though, this movie does not have the lowest score from the audience. <laughs> we all know which one that is. <laughs> so oh, i'll just leave man. it there because we don't we're not going to get into the discussion of this yeah, movie oh, we'll be but, on here for a while with but, that one um you know the phantom menace yes it 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 has it has its issues um however i like rachel enjoy this movie so rachel it's been a pleasure thank you so much for being on the podcast i i had a great time i hope you did too I did. Thank you, Andre. I know you put so much hard work into Backseat Directors, and it is such an honor to be a part of it. I'm really enjoying myself out here. So thanks so much for having me on. Well, that's great to hear. And listeners, Rachel is such an incredible writer. Go check her out on BackseatDirectors.com. She writes awesome reviews. She has some great editorials and recently has been doing some actor spotlights. Um, so definitely go check them out. Now, Rachel, if people want to get a hold of you online or if they want to follow you on social media, how can they do that? Uh, my biggest uh, social media presence, which is not much, <laughs> is on BackseatDirectors.com. But uh, you can also find me on Instagram as Rochasaurus, which is R-O-C-H-A-S-A-U-R-U-S. I hope I spelled that right. <laughs> I should have written it down, but that, that's pretty sure that's how it's spelled. Um, I'm tagged in a lot of Backseat Directors stuff, so you'll be able to find me that way as well. Yep. No, that's great. That's great. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for downloading today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And until next time, we'll check you guys later. The Backseat Directors theme song is Let's Go to the Movies by Ozo Motley. You can find the album Ozo Motley Presents Ozo Kids and all of their other music on iTunes. The Backseat Directors podcast is available to download on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and most other podcast platforms. Join the conversation online and follow Backseat Directors on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Action, adventure, animation, and comedy. There's sci-fi and westerns and classics, documentaries. Uh, so many options, so much variety. There's a perfect movie for you and him and her and me. Uh, 
So find your seat in the perfect row. Sit back, relax, kick up your feet, and turn off your phone. 